Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline, and I think I'm going to go all the way with Robbie tonight. Joining me is the woman who carried a watermelon to get here, Curtis Sittenfeld. Oh, that's my favorite introduction ever. (laughs) I'm going to request that from here on out, whatever I do. (laughs) Haven't we all carried a watermelon? (laughs) Um, So we're doing Dirty Dancing today, and I'd love to know what made you choose this film. Well, it's funny because I think that Dirty Dancing is extraordinarily beloved by many, many people. And, you know, many people can casually quote from it. I don't know if it's Mm -hmm. respected or not respected. Like, I think that it would be, it could be used as a sort of punchline to a joke that's kind of mocking, like, female culture or, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like young female yearning or or that sort of thing so it's not i mean i don't like if i were to rank um all the forms of disrespected culture i don't think it would be at the top right like i think i I mean i think it's much it's kind of loved above all but i do think that it's it's you know a real artistic feat and feat of storytelling in things like structure and character development um that i'm not i'm not sure it gets credit for also i mean maybe this is just an excuse to talk about dirty dancing with you <laughs> well so here's the thing it's that i i i really think that you're right i did i did have moments when i was planning this uh with your publicist where i thought like well can anyone really say that they hate Dirty Dancing? It is beloved. And Patrick Swayze, I remember when he died, which wasn't very long ago, it was such an enormous outpouring of for female-led grief. And it was one of those moments where so many women looked around and went like, oh, you too. And <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, of course, you too. Of course, us as well. <laughs> um, it was like a positive me too. <laughs> where everyone's depth of feeling for Patrick was was revealed. It was a raw vein of feeling. Um um, but I, I knew it, I, I knew it for this, um, beautiful, uh, love, love story and this beautiful tribute to dance and yearning, as you said, but it wasn't until this viewing just last night that I also realized it was a fucking masterpiece. Like it's, it's such, um, because, you know, it's, I didn't. I, I'm a child of the 90s, so Patrick Swayze's uh, honk effect kind of missed me slightly. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what? What year were you born exactly? Uh, 1990. Okay, so I I was born in 1975, so I'm 15 years older than okay, you. Okay, so my, my sister was born in 1980, so a lot of her passions were handed down to me, um, and Patrick Swayze and Dirty Dancing was something I could never truly get. I think because he mm. he just seemed when I ever watching it and she seemed so young and he seemed so old. 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. In a way that as, an, as a 12-year-old, I was like, no. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because actually I was 12 when I saw it too yeah. in the theater yeah. in, in early 1988. Um, but he was just the right amount old for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> <laughs> but you're watching it last night, I was like, he is old though. <laughs> it's funny. I... I I'm not sure how old he was in real life. Mm-hmm. Do you know how old he was in real life? I looked up last night. Some, I think the character was supposed to be 23 or 24. The actor was 36. <sighs> oh, man. Yeah. That's interesting, too, yeah. in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he he felt, um, like, not attractive to me. And also, I think the sort of teenage movies I was responding to at that time was, like, um, your Ferris Bueller's or your Breakfast Clubs that was all about sort of, like, um, sparky boys with big vocabularies and the, the sassy girls they talk to. And this is not a talking ha! movie. <laughs> That's interesting because I think I often have a fondness for talking movies, mm-hmm. but I also think I would I would agree with you. Although I would I would say I think that this movie does what it does really economically. You know, again, mm-hmm. like in terms of character development, like every line of dialogue counts. Mm-hmm. It really, it really does. And like, even the way it, so this is the thing of like, yeah, I I think, I don't know about you, but like growing up as a, as a writing and reading child meant that I would have rather not thought about my body at all. And, (laughs) and, and so films that made me think about owning a body, like Bring It On or Dirty Dancing, I was like, "Mm, leave it over there. (laughs) Leave it at the front door. That's interesting because I would describe myself as a reading and writing child. And I would say, but I, I think I had almost the opposite reaction. Like I, I think that I remember more than once watching like the closing credits of Dirty Dancing, you know, so it's like the, the epic scene at the end and then the dancing, the kind of actual so-called Dirty Dancing where like with the credits rolling over it and and wishing to be a different person, mm. but not necessarily in a bad way. So yeah. kind of wishing to be a different person, like... Wishing to be not a reading, writing person, wishing to be a dancing person, but maybe like holding out hope that I could be in part because the character of baby is now I'm sorry to say on the other side of things. So now it's been almost 30 years Mm -hmm. since I first saw Dirty Dancing. I did not become a Dirty Dancing. I mean, I did not become a dancing person, (laughs) dirty or otherwise. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Um, but it, it kind of, you know, made me hopeful at the time instead of making me feel weird. The thing is that, like, you're so right in that it's so much about Jennifer Grey's performance as baby and she is this, um, sort of plucky and tomboyish and definitely a reader and, um, you know, it's, it's so strange watching that opening scene when they're driving down to the Catskills, um... And that opening line of dialogue is something like it was the summer of 1963 before Kennedy was shot and everyone was still calling me baby and it didn't occur to me to mind. And it, it gives you this chill. And I was like, why am I getting such a chill from this? I was like, oh, because it's the opening of the bell jar. It's the same thing, oh, right? Really? Like, is it? That first page, it was like, it was a oh, slow, wow. sultry summer, the summer they executed the Rosenbergs, and I didn't know what I was doing in New York. It's like the same beats, right? That's fascinating. I wonder if that's a deliberate echo or like a coincidence. But yeah, you're right. That's fascinating. I mean, and I've certainly read The Bell Jar more than once. Yeah. And they are sort of, you know, the same 
Mm, are they? Maybe. Actually, I would have to look up the dates of, of like, when Sylvia Plath wrote the Bell Jar. I think it's maybe the 50s, but it's, yeah, but it, it, it feels like this um exciting parallel where it's like you've got this mix of something huge and political that's about to change the world forever and that's going to dictate the political mood. But also here's this tiny little girl on the edge of something and on the edge of awakening and this with this sort of also the sensuality that she doesn't even know exists yet. And then I think it says something like, and I never thought I could find anyone as great as my dad. Yeah. By the way, you, as you say this, it's making me think about Dairy Girls, which yes. I recently watched, which I think does the exact same thing brilliantly, where it, and it does it, it's, it's funny because it does it really self-consciously, but really charmingly self-consciously yeah. that it, it mixes the sort of, personal adolescent narcissism and then the kind of like larger political backdrop against which it unfolds and it, I, I think it, it it's like um dairy girls like blends those beautifully and also i mean of course like with the abortion storyline which i did not i was yeah. like literally unaware of the first time i ever saw the movie yeah. i think i was well, like how, unaware Pen- how? Penny has a, yeah penny has a stomach ache <laughs> was that appendicitis you know i literally i i didn't but but like i think and i i think that's another reflection of Dirty Dancing sort of brilliance that it can be a lot of like it can be an abortion movie or it could be a dancing movie depending on your perspective yeah like and it's it's it can also it can be a a romantic silly movie about dancing that women watch at sleepovers or at nights in together or whatever or at group screenings where they all like scream for Patrick Swayze but it can also be this like this really like tender memoirish sort of piece, right? Where it feels like, yes. and I know the the um the screenwriter, what is the name? Why haven't I written it down? Uh, Eleanor Bergstein, her name was. Um, has talked a lot uh, about it being a very memoiric piece and it being this thing where she that was her life, like that was her. Um, you know, she used to go to the Catskills with her parents. She was like winning all the sort of resort dance competitions. She sort of got to know the instructors. And so she is channeling a very real life experience through the, um, the sort of stations of the cross of what a teen romance looks like, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> of like, mm-hmm. boy from the wrong side mm-hmm. of the tracks, he teaches her to do things. They can't tell anyone. Shh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, <laughs> like, and like, and it's, it's this amazing filter for like, sort of class and hypocrisy and sort of the, 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 the paradises that people invent for themselves and the things they do in order to preserve those paradises, you know? Like, yeah, I, t- I agree with and and religion, obviously, yes. like the fact that well, because so often I think Jewish is other in pop culture. Mm-hmm. But in in this movie, you know, it's a Jewish resort. And mm-hmm. so Johnny's character is kind of like the other yeah. as not being Jewish, not being, you know, college educated or whatever. It's so interesting because. It was a, you know, uh, I kind of have a Ebert meter for this podcast where it's like Roger Ebert is like a, you know, is, is that critic that you agree with most of the time. And, uh, you know, then you see these moments where you get, get he gets it wrong and you're like, wow, 
Roger, I trusted you. And I, <laughs> I, uh, I looked up, you know, he's, he had a one star review of this movie and one that <gasps> I know, Roger, we trusted you. Um, it was the one star and, and one of his major problems with the movie is that, um, the, 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 the Jewishness to him feels very, uh, watered down, whitewashed, unspoken. And to this, Eleanor Bergstein said, it, it, it's a Jewish movie if you know what you're looking at. Oh, I, I like that. And I agree with that. Yeah. And I'm, ha- I'm half Jewish as a side note. Okay. So is this kind of like a familiar landscape to you? Although I suppose that kind of culture was, would have been dead by the time you were coming. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm sort of the wrong half Jewish. Like okay. I'm the, <laughs> my dad was Jewish. My mom um, is Catholic. But I... I mean, I, I think also just as on first viewing, I did not um, understand the abortion plot line. I don't think I understood the religious tensions or the mm-hmm. religious backdrop, but it's absolutely all over the movie in almost, you know, every scene. Yeah. And um, because this is like a very, um, the listenership of this podcast is very European and also Australian. Um and, and they may not understand the context of the Catskills and all that um, culture. Could you give us like a, a potted history or do you know it? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So um, it's upstate New York, you know, a few hours north of and outside New York City. Um, and it's, uh, that cover that covers my knowledge. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think that there did used to be this sort of, heyday of this kind of resort some of which have been resuscitated mm-hmm. um uh but yeah it was and i th- i think that a lot of times jewish resorts were created because jews were not welcome at i don't know whether you'd call them ge- gentile or yeah. mainstream or even or like Christian country resorts. clubs right that was a huge yeah, thing yeah yeah absolutely um so um, yeah, so it's, it's funny too, because this is such a reference point where like many times in my life I've been at a hotel and, and been like, oh my God, this is like dirty dancing or like been at a camp and been like, this is like dirty dancing. Like it's such a reference point for me. Um, yeah, but I don't, does that, does that give enough context? I think so. I think it was also, it was covered in, um, in Marvelous Miss Maisel, which may be another reason why people would know it. There's like a whole season where, where they're in one of these resorts. But it's it's fascinating to me because um, it, it, the you know the screenwriter's objection that you know it's a Jewish movie if you know what you're looking at. But if I said it to somebody living in England, they they again they, most of them wouldn't wouldn't know what they're looking at because um, American Jewish culture is different. You know, just by virtue of being a different country. Um, oh, that's interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah. Like, what are the signifiers that, to me, make it completely clear? Exactly. Yeah. And what are they? Um, it's funny. It would be interesting to go scene by scene. I mean, some of it, frankly, is, like, last names, mm-hmm. physical appearance, um, uh, how do we know? That's it's weird. How do we know that it's a Jewish resort? Like, do, does, some, does someone say, you know, oy vey, or something <laughs> like that? Or uh, there's um there's uh, I was reading a couple of articles about it today, just because it's um it's a perspective that 
as a Gentile, I don't know much about, but I was somebody was saying that like the emphasis in the movie on on matchmaking is as being a very Jewish perspective. And I was like, oh, I hadn't I hadn't really thought of that, of like, you know, baby is constantly being set up with these um like promising college kids. And it's like this interesting um, class system with it. Because like there's obviously there's the obvious hotel class system of both the, the guests and the people who work there, right? But then mm-hmm. within the staff, there is also a pecking order, which is the, mm-hmm. the, the sort of front of house serving people mm-hmm. are like these like, Ivy League college boys who are having like a lovely mm-hmm. summer job and whose job it is is to like take out the daughters and all that kind of and that you see we see bits of that like from the very beginning we see that like Baby is this character who's like peeking through doors all the time and she's like very intellectually curious and gen- legitimately wants to know what's happening uh, at every level and she, he's you know they're they're all getting this lecture about how they should have to take out these girls and and serve these guests um, and they're all very clean cut and then we have the dancing people <laughs> as as mm-hmm. uh Johnny and Penny are referred to um and there's this kind yeah and and you know you've got Robbie who is like the waiter who gets Penny pregnant and who um yeah you know then goes out with baby sister reading the fountainhead <laughs> and it's like this whole not particularly subtle but it's certainly very interesting thing of like who matters, who doesn't, who, mm-hmm. like, who gets to be a person, who, like, you know, yeah, like, what what things are seen and unseen. Like, there's a bit where somebody says to Baby, the boy she takes out, who's supposed to be, like, the catch of the Catskills or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he literally says to her, there's some things that you shouldn't see <laughs> or you should pretend, like, you didn't see, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, too, how there's sort of fluctuating status where you know Johnny um kind of like obviously he's kind of catnip to these older women but he's not it doesn't transfer it's kind of like in the pretend world of the resort yeah yeah um or yeah like 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 in some ways um the the nephew of the resort owner you know, is not very handsome to baby, but is like high status because of his money and future, you know, professional promise and that sort of thing. So there is, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, almost has this like summer festival, like, you know, shifting or transforming identities almost like, it's almost like Shakespearean. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And this, and it is like it is such a transformation narrative, right? Like, it's this this girl. I mean, it's and it's so convincingly done because Jennifer Grey is just such like a beautiful presence on screen, isn't she? Like, <laughs> how do you respond to her? Like, what do you feel when you see her? Um, well, she so okay. So uh, to like take a step back, mm. there's this phenomenon, I think. Where in a movie, if a girl is supposed to be more mousy than sexy, mm-hmm. what whatever mousy means, whatever sexy means, mm-hmm. there's then the question of like, well, is she really mousy? Like, is the actress playing her really mousy or is she like gorgeous and wearing glasses? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I think that in this movie, Jennifer Grey strikes kind of a nice balance Mm -hmm. where 
I mean, she's certainly very cute and attractive, but she's not maybe like stunningly mm. gorgeous. And so it feels sort of like, well, you know, it's, it's plausible. And she's, she, you know, she's, she's wears kind of maybe like younger, less sexy clothing, mm. obviously earlier in the movie. So it, it sort of feels like, yeah, Johnny probably would not be attracted to her based on her, you know, based on her looks alone, based on her vibe, Mm -hmm. based on her outfits. But then it also becomes convincing that he is. And so there's something kind of magical about this where she's not, I mean, again, I I think she's, she's like a lovely young woman, (laughs) Um, but she's not, she's not like ridiculously distractingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and also I will say that I think the first time I saw the movie again, early, like I think it was February, 1988 in the theater, I was 12 and a half. <laughs> um, wait, was that, does that mean it was 35 years ago? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember the whole movie thinking, is Johnny, like, is he, I mean, probably the word I would have used at the time was cute, but like, is is he attractive or is he not attractive? And I think near the end of the movie, I was like, oh my God, he's so attractive. <laughs> and there's, there's almost something, I, I'm curious if you agree or disagree with this. I think if you can't decide if a person is attractive, like at first, there's something that's actually a little bit like extra intriguing about that it's almost yes. like like if, you, if there's someone you know and you can't decide if you do or don't like their personality <laughs> it requires you to like think about them more and so i think that you know you have to be like oh yeah he's totally attractive and i i mean again it might have been just how young i was that it took me like the entire movie to to figure that out but then i was like oh my god he's not only is he attractive he's smoldering like he's you know this has been imprinted on my my you know pre-adolescent self um for all time <laughs> uh but but yeah um so there's the you know i, I think that that the, both those parts seem like magically well cast and i i don't know if it would be the same movie if there were other actors yeah yes and uh it's so interesting what you say about it taking you when you when it takes you a minute to decide whether you like someone whether like that's attractiveness wise or or even personality wise the focus does um force you it like brings you harder down on the end of being attracted to them. Like, I, yeah. I think as well with, like, the, the Adam Driver thing, where it's like, you know, like, there's no doubting that it's like, he's obviously very sexy. We all know that now. But it's, uh, when we saw, when you see him in Girls for the first time, it's like, it's almost like a magic eye painting because the his features, <laughs> he's so odd as, a, as an on-screen presence and his, you know, he's got kind of, like, interesting features or whatever. And it's like, you're focusing so much on it and then the illusion comes together as you step away. It's so funny. It's funny you should say that because, okay, so, like, let me preface, I mean, I'm, you know, like... <laughs> oh, my God, you know him. Like, no, no, the opposite. <laughs> I was going to say, I have never come down on this. I mean, I think that Adam Driver, like... I wish him well. He's a talented actor. <laughs> I wish him well. I don't, I think if he were, if he were like on this call with us, I think he might be like, Curtis, I don't find you that attractive either. But I, I would say, I don't like, like 
Adam Driver has never coalesced as like a smoking hot presence for me. I mean, again, he's I think if I knew him in real life, I'd think like, oh, yeah, he's that's that's like a, a pleasant, good looking person or whatever. You know, like he's he's <laughs> fine or something. But I don't I don't think I see the thing that people see when they kind of swoon over mm-hmm. him. Adam Driver is somewhere on a run in L.A. now and he just stopped in his tracks <laughs> and he's like, I don't feel so well. No, I don't feel I, nice. I actually, uh, by the way, I should also say this, just showing what a like absurd hypocrite I am. Like, I feel like I try never to to like criticize anyone's physical appearance. Mm-hmm. So it's I don't. It's not that I think I don't think he's like unattractive by any means. I think he's very talented. He brings a lot of pleasure to to TV and movie watchers. I think he's a hard worker. It's, oh I my god, you're so, you feel so bad about this most famous man alive. <laughs> I know he's done okay without the he's like done Curtis okay. He's done okay without you blurbing his appearance. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I do. I do think that like because there's if if there's some maybe this will happen like later today for for me with Adam Driver. But like w- like I think there is something where once if you're like is that is is he good looking is he good looking and then you're like oh my god he's good looking and then you almost can't believe you didn't see it before yeah. so it's it weirdly like yeah like like there's almost that distant memory before before you're in on the secret <laughs> uh, my, my my terrible dry awful life before i understood <laughs> Um, I th- what if I'm in that? I must be in the terrible, dry, <laughs> awful. Pre- I, I think it's, I, it's, he's not even like a big crush of mine or anything. It's just like you know, I would, I would definitely let him kiss me. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> and, and like, well, here, I mean, again, the thing I feel me. very conscious of as I as I critique his appearance, I don't think there will ever be. I don't think that Adam Driver would yearn to kiss me. Maybe, maybe that's also there's also that phenomenon because it's like I've certainly met some very uh like attractive people and if if they just seem you know a thousand percent uninterested in you it, that's it. it, it sort of makes like yeah. they, it's almost that more like they're a statue like they're they're not their attractiveness is like irrelevant to you yes maybe? this is the most i've ever discussed adam driver <laughs> by the way he talks about you a lot so <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that we're talking about sort of the actors in this movie and what they look like and how they present because I do think that something kind of amazing happens with them with all of the characters actually where they all possess this kind of duality where this thing with baby where it's like we can we can see her be the literal baby of her family and we can see her in the pedal pushers and the little twee dresses and stuff and being kind of awkward and gawky and and then by the end of the movie like we are seeing like a, a woman um, and and somebody who has like a great amount of steeliness and and sort of basically she finds out what kind of person she is, which is so much of what movies like this are about. But it's also it's this thing of like the first time I was so struck with the first time we see Penny is she's this like it's like something out of old Hollywood. Like she's like incredible. These dancing is incredible. She's just the most beautiful, glamorous thing. And you, mm. you as the audience, it's just the film is so beautifully made. You see her the way baby seeing her is being like, oh my God, like this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. These people dancing is beautiful, but she is just so glamorous and like baby so drawn to her immediately. And then 
it kind of follows her through this kind of abortion plot. And then you get all these scenes with her where it's just like the two of them in these shitty little rooms together where she's like lying down after her botched abortion or just like crying in the kitchen. And you see this like, this terrible vulnerability, this thing of like, oh, this girl is going to be crushed by the world, you know? Yeah, I, it, I totally agree with everything you're saying. That that there is there is a lot of transformation in the movie. Yeah, I I I just I really think this is an incredibly artistic film. <laughs> I do too. It's really I it's it feels meticulously made and meticulously structured. It really does. Like I'm I'm just trying to bring us through. So the we have like those early scenes where like baby's kind of spying on the inner workings of this resort which is just so like delicious and I think the mm-hmm. White Lotus has proved to us all I haven't really watched it but I've seen snippets of like just watch how how rich people's paradises are created and maintained it's just lovely <laughs> uh, well the, I mean there's sort of that element of yeah like almost any enclave I don't, I don't think I've ever used that word <laughs> there's so there it could go wrong so many ways but like but yeah like any anything where it's like going behind the gates of a place that most people don't get to go behind the gates of whether it's a school or i mean for like certainly i've been drawn to that in fiction whether it's like the white house or mm. you know mm-hmm. etc yeah there is something irresistible about that yeah of the of the books of yours i've, I've read which i love um uh the you you're very interested in this right in in the wealthy and their little enclaves <laughs> enclaves i know yeah. i was like uh, enclave enclave um, no it's not enclave <laughs> it's i think it's either on enclave or enclave i'm going to go with enclave because it's how i've been saying it but we can say both for representation. I've purposes. never been saying, or we could we could pretend that there's like an American way. <laughs> yeah, the color and the color. Um, yeah, the you 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 wrote a lot about these like very privileged um, and sort of like self maintained spaces in your work, like in um, in prep, obviously, but also it 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 really reminded me of American Wife of that kind of compound they spend their summers on of like. Mm-hmm. There's something just about that, about the creating of fake worlds for people to rest in is very Mm -hmm. beautiful to me. And like what you're willing to do in order to preserve them and that we keep seeing throughout this movie. So we're immediately seeing the casualties of what it takes to preserve these worlds where it's like Penny is like, you know, this you know, she's an employee of this world and she's, you know, mistreated by Robbie. She gets pregnant and there's nobody who's willing to help her. And it's kind of this reminder of like, you know, you can be in this world, but as soon as you start becoming a problem to anyone, you're out. And the same thing mm-hmm. happens with Johnny when he's fired at the end of the movie. And it's, um, and you see the owner of the hotel, who's a character I really enjoyed following on this watch through of him just like trying to keep this world together and then mm-hmm. at the very at the very end, he says something. He's like turning to his sort of like first in command, and says something like, "You know, we through the war we stayed. You know, we stayed. We kept it going, and now, you know, I feel like something's ending. You know, and it's there's just such a melancholy to it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I feel like, I mean, it's also a little bit, I guess, confusing how to feel because I think mm. as a viewer you could think, well, this place is 
you know, classist and exclusive and it's good mm-hmm. that it's ending. Or you could think like, it's so beautiful and a lovely summer night and you could have like a beautiful first sexual experience here <laughs> yeah. like, with with a young Patrick Swayze. And like, that's that's so tragic that it's ending. But yeah, I mean, I think I think that there's also kind of separate from this specific plot. I think whenever there's a setting that feels sort of like magic, or maybe this is the mm. feeling of youth, you always can feel the end of it. So it's almost like whether yeah. it's ending or not, you always feel a little sadness, you know, if, if it feels just like so beautiful and special to you. And then, and sometimes external factors or, you know, circumstances confirm that it is ending, but sometimes yeah. it's just like how precious it is to you that makes you feel how fleeting it is. And that's it. It's like, because like, baby can only, you can only lose your virginity once. <laughs> you, know I mean? like, you know, you can like, this is like uh, only, a, only a kind of thing you experience once. And she, like, she just delivers so many amazing lines to camera where it's like, you know, she, they go and they dance together. And the reason they're dancing together is that they, is it literally Penny needs work cover. Um, so she can get this illegal abortion and, um, then, so that's, so that's that kind of the bulk of the training montage that we associate with this film. I think in my head, like I've seen that a lot because I remember the music video, the time of my life music video mm. used to feature clips from Dirty Dancing, the kind of highlights reel, them in the river, all that kind of stuff and, mm-hmm. and her gradually getting better. I, in my head, I was, I was like, oh, yeah, don't they have to raise money for an abortion or something? Oh, <laughs> it's like, yeah. That, that, and like, maybe, is it a competition where they win money? But it's like, no, it's like literally she ha- they have to fulfill a contract at like a neighboring hotel and everybody, nobody else has the time to learn the steps because everybody's overworked as it is. And then Baby's the only one who literally has the time to learn the steps yeah, because she's yeah. a guest with nothing else to do. And like the low stakes of that are very tragic to me <laughs> like the Half it's not so. even that they have to it's not even that they have to like enter a contest to win this amount of money it's like it's work cover for a woman who needs health care it was it's like so wow funny but i actually kind of feel the opposite where it's not some contrived like yeah. oh we want to get a song on the radio or like our lives would be better it is sort of like like you know focusing on being a working person and yeah. on like some of the inflexibility and and it has like I think that there's something really effective in um like romances to have something that's really like like an unromantic reason that mm. two people have to spend a ton of time together mm-hmm. is so great. You know, it's weirdly so much better than a romantic reason. It's so much better. Like, yeah. Um, so yes. so then it's kind of like, like it, it actually, there's this very, and th- that's another thing that the book does, I mean, the movie does well, that it's, it's, there's this real kind of like clarity of plot. And then later, you know, the old couple who, you know, turn out to be wallet stealers. Mm-hmm. Like that's such a deft, like small but deftly executed plot line where like things really pay off or like everything you're introduced to affects the plot, mm. including th- those people who are like in there from the beginning. And there's even this part where like the old woman, I think 
drops her bag and multiple wallets fall, fall out and you think nothing of it. Oh. And then later it comes back. So it's just, it just feels so well planned and like the storytellers were always in control. Oh, that's so true. I haven't seen it enough times to notice that two old yeah. people thing. That's There's a part oh, where so I delicious. think it's when Baby is going into the dance studio to... to um, rehearse and she runs into the woman and the woman drops her bag multiple uh-huh. wallets fall out baby helps her put them in and of course the viewer is like thinking woo wee you know baby's on her way to a dance rehearsal like I wonder if they're gonna kiss or what if they're gonna yeah. admit their attraction like what's so you're not thinking in those sort of smoldering terms and then it it comes back and it, it's like it's almost like when she you know confesses to her father and and to the head of the um, resort, like Johnny couldn't have stolen the wallets because I was with him all night. Like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of this like like triple payoff of like she's revealing something to her father. It's true. We know that like that that she's correct about the wallet thieves. Like it's just like so much is going on for this for this moment that was like it, stuff that was inserted earlier and you didn't know it was inserted and now it pays off so satisfyingly. Yeah. And it's, it's, oh, it's just delicious, isn't it? It's just delicious. <laughs> one little bit. It's, delicious. Like, it's so yummy. <laughs> Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This mother's day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What? sort of effect does the dancing have on you? Because I'm conscious that we haven't spoken a ton about the dancing of Dirty Dancing. <laughs> um, I mean, again, it's. I think I feel what I felt when I was like 12. Like, I, I, I want to be a different person. But I, I, when I see the dancing, like, I want to be a person who dances mm-hmm. like that. And, um, and I, I mean, I simultaneously, like, there's no amount of alcohol in the world. <laughs> You know, I'd be I'd be like passed out on the floor before I would try to dance like that. But, um, I, but so I think maybe the second best thing I could ever hope for is to like have the emotions that the characters have um, yeah. when when they're dancing. But, but yeah, I think it's just so uh, it's so fun. Like the music is so fun and the dancing is so fun and and there is something. There's also something I think really charming. Like if ever there's I think this is true of probably books and movies. If there's a book or movie 
that's kind of about a subculture or a community or an enclave. <laughs> and then <laughs> like everyone in it comes together in a festive way. That's really mm. fun. That's like a really, like it's almost, you know, like if it's like, it's the fall festival in this small town or something. And then like these people can, and so then you see Have you seen the Gilmore date. Girls lately? Or? Yeah, I know, I know. The, um, it's like the, the dancing at the end, there's kind of like unlikely but charming dance partners or mm-hmm. people can be, you know, the terrarium of this resort can be like shaken up and people can, um, you know, any two people can end up together and we know both of them and that's really fun. Oh yeah, no, totally. It's the like, all the people we've gotten to know in different parts, and then they all come together. You're like, yay, yeah. the whole yeah. parade. It's kind of, you know, another example of that would be like Friday Night Lights. Did you watch Friday Night Lights? No, never. Oh, oh God. <laughs> the, the, I would say the TV show, I think, maybe not. I don't think I ever saw the movie. So, But yeah, it's like, you know, a small town, and mm. you, you, the viewer, know everybody, and it kind of turns out they all know each other. And when two somewhat unlikely people do interact like unlikely like you know like you like they're not friends or they're not related but of course they would interact so it is organic there's just something like really fun about that beautiful it also made me think a lot when i was watching it how many similar plot beats there are to the movie titanic really yeah if you think about it so you get these like two very like very young very steely heroines who are like sort of questioning their upper middle class or upper class backgrounds and feel sort of stifled by it and know without knowing, looking around at like the leisure society that they're in, that this is like not how people should live. You know, like there's 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 very a lot of that. A lot of like baby at the beginning of the movie, very similar to Rose in those tea room scenarios of being like is this really, is this really what we're subjugating people for? (laughs) Like tea or like charades or like weird me being sawn in half for an audience of like people my dad performs heart surgery on. And like, um, then it's like this thing of, you know, the, the woman who goes, you know, below stairs and sort of sees how, how, what it like, in a kind of condescending way, how real people are and the sort of like the full bodied red bloodedness of like poorer people who have rhythm. (laughs) Yeah, that's Um, true. And both of it is sort of like actually shown through dance. Like if you think of those um, below deck Titanic party scenes where she's roses down with the Irish or whatever, uh, doing Kaylee's. And then huh. the say, yeah, exactly. Which is like, <laughs> I'm planning a wedding at the moment with my English uh, partner. And he's like, I just want it to be like, <laughs> if, everyone wants their wedding to be like Rose below deck on Titanic. Huh. <laughs> um, um, but that's exactly how it feels when baby goat carries the watermelon into this sort of like staff, uh, in, you know, break place and they're all sort of dancing sexy it's like oh this is what dancing is it's not the thing i was doing in the exercise class when i was like dancing with an old lady (laughs) learning how to do the mambo or whatever it's like oh this is what it is yeah that's funny i've never thought of that comparison um but you make a convincing case for it (laughs) I'm obviously somebody who's seen Titanic far more times than I've seen Dirty Dancing so it's like everything's Titanic 
Interesting. Interesting. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I saw Titanic also in the theater when I was in my mm-hmm. early 20s. And I think... So apparently first I insulted Adam Driver. Now I'm going to insult James Cameron. Like, I was kind of like, if this movie, if the script were better written, this would be like a fucking incredible movie. It's, but it's <laughs> like almost like every, every scene could be the same. Every character could be the same. Just like the, their lines of dialogue need to be whatever improved. See. Um, so, so, but, but there, but I did, in spite of that, I did still find it really emotionally moving. The weird thing is I don't, I think I found it in fact, so emotionally moving that I've never watched it again. Cause I've, I've almost been like, Ooh, like, I don't, I don't know if I have that in me today, you know, to kind of go through all of that. So I watch it twice a year. <laughs> On particular days? No, I just know when the feeling is, you know, ha! generally. <laughs> it's been six months. It's like a renewing a prescription. It is. It is like, like renewing getting a, pres- a haircut or a dentist appointment. <laughs> generally, once will be around Christmas. Um, and mm-hmm. then another time it'll be, um, I'll, I'll be drunk. <laughs> ha! And I'll, and I'll put it on as a very, you know, um, I, I, I do love it and um similarly with this thing where like at the end of this movie where it's like you get the guy max who owns the resort saying with this you know he's been trying to keep it together and then he says like oh it's all fading away and that that exact dichotomy that you just described the thing i'm like well yeah this is like a classist society but it's just so nice (laughs) And, but, and yet, if you can lose your virginity in such a sweet, tender way, like should should, should we? Yeah, you know, exactly. Ma- maintain these like. Should we throw the baby out with the bathwater? It's like yes, I know the society in Titanic is wrong, but do we have to throw all those beautiful things into the ocean? <laughs> um, By the way, somebody there's a tidbit that somebody told me that I think of all the time although i mean in some ways this might be so self-evident someone told me that there was nothing plastic on the titanic when it went down i mean of course but for some reason it's interesting to think about wow there was nothing plastic on the titanic feels like the title for like a book of poems And or or like a book of essays that i like you know that like a lot of people would tweet about and i wouldn't actually want to read yeah yeah totally nothing oh you haven't read nothing plastic on the titanic yet <laughs> oh wow it's it's the hot essay collection of the summer <laughs> um so we we have this sort of like very primal dance scene uh in the sort of staff quarters or whatever and then we get to the sort of training montage where uh honestly it was so beautiful but it also gave me body dysmorphia because i was ah. like should I like she's just she's just so incredibly small. <laughs> yeah. She's so very small and uh that's hard to look at sometimes but she's it, it is just like wow she is so adorable. That sort of repeated thing of like him brushing his hand down her body and she keeps laughing. So I've heard that that actually was really happening. So like like that it's not it's not them acting and it's him him, the actor, getting annoyed with her, the actress, because she's really? basically being like that tickles, and they're supposed to be like looking sultry, but that that they kept the kind of. I mean, I don't know if this is 
true, but I've read this somewhere. They kept the kind of like outtakes of, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so delicious. I know, I know. And then, yeah, and then we get to the, um, their sort of performance, their Thursday night performance. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's such a clever thing to do because like in a normal movie like this, it should be this thing where like, we're leading to the final dance at the end, but like Mm -hmm. the supposed final dance at the end sort of like happens in the middle of the film and Mm -hmm. it's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's like, baby Mm -hmm. does all right. She's clearly not the next greatest dancer or whatever, but it's a passable Mm -hmm. clumsy job. And then sort of like, so the, the, the the stakes related to the dancing are removed in terms Mm -hmm. of the plot. And then it becomes sort of this forbidden love story but even then, it's not like it's like it's a forbidden love story, but it's also like she can kind of get away and see him whenever she wants. So the stakes of the movie are more that like, and I, I like it's the relationship that she has with her father, which we haven't mm-hmm. spoken about yet. But I do think is like, like I don't really think. I think what's so beautiful about the ending dance between Johnny and Baby is that like you kind of know that they're never going to really see each other again. You know, this mm-hmm. is like a moment in time that is deeply meaningful and will change them both. But like them meeting in up in New York in two months for a pizza just shouldn't happen. You know, <laughs> like it just shouldn't <laughs> happen. But so the real like the the lifelong love story is between Baby and her father. You know, it's so funny that you should say that because huh, I have kind of a different interpretation. Okay, go. So, okay, so one is that I feel like the story is is a little bit about, like, it's sort of like her father, like, adores her, or she's, like, his his favorite Mm -hmm. under very narrow circumstances that neither of them quite realizes to be narrow circumstances. And when she challenges those, he really retracts. And then... The the implication at the end is like they kind of have made peace, but I don't I think their relationship is almost the relationship that will never really recover. Never yeah. like sh- they they now know things about each other that make them uncomfortable. Meanwhile, so I feel like um when you're talking about when you know that like women looking at each other when when Patrick Swayze died and kind of being like oh no like you know you you too kind of had this special place in your heart for him because of Dirty Dancing I I feel like I thought to myself someday I should write a, a screenplay like a sequel to Dirty Dancing and it should be about like they've gone their separate ways but they've never forgotten each other and then they both you know f- come back and find each other in middle age at Kellerman <laughs> and when he died I thought oh my god like that can never that I mean it, never it was happen. I think it was always sort of delusional and I, I believe um that uh um, Jennifer Grey is actually working on or maybe even close to completing like a real Dirty Dancing sequel and, and I think she says like there's you know homage to to Patrick Swayze in it but but I kind of like like this idea that that you're kind of saying oh they were never going to end up together I mean I think you're probably right but I think there also is something kind of like oh like they like the attraction between them feels both unlikely and convincing in this mm. way that's pretty great and so like I, I feel like they might have had trouble finding what they found in each other in other people <laughs> yes yes and that that beautiful line when she comes to his house oh. where it's like 
I'm I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of who I am, and I'm scared of I'm scared of like what I felt tonight. I might never feel again, and yeah. that's true for people. And oh, like, yeah. uh, and yeah. it's it's like the um, you know, the, I'd love to see if she is working on that. I know there have been sequels. There have been like Havana Nights, the much yeah, maligned yeah. Havana, yeah. which I kind yeah, of let's I not would speak of that. Let's pretend that doesn't exist. <laughs> I would kind of love to investigate it again, just for the purposes of this podcast, to see if there's anything worthwhile in it. But um, the. You know, I would love to see that Jennifer Grey character coming back as one of these women who constantly molests Johnny Castle. <laughs> Do you oh, know what I mean? Oh. Oh, because she is trying to get back what it felt like to be 17 and, yeah. you know, in love with someone and feeling an urge towards someone. And and the guy would obviously be Channing Tatum. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no, 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 no. I think it would be a dark film. Like, I think it'd be good. <laughs> Oh God! I think I think the, I think that maybe I don't know. I don't know if I could emotionally take that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I do. I feel like the scene, and it's also kind of brilliant how they're driving back from the dance performance, and he's kind of like yeah. checking her out in the rearview yeah. mirror. And there's all this like now that they've done the sort of work thing that they agreed to do together. They're confused about where things stand between them. And you feel like, oh my, you know, like the sexual tension is so thick. And then it gets interrupted by that, by the abortion plotline. And then it comes back to the sexual tension. And like, I think both the car ride and her being in his cabin are both just like magnificent scenes. So, so beautiful. So beautiful. Oh, they're so beautiful. Because you're right, then it gets interrupted by the abortion plot line and it's this thing of... And this is another thing that is quite rare in um in films, which is a, a man protecting a woman who he is not related to and not mm. married to. Mm. <laughs> and it's just like... I was like, wow, he really just loves his friend from school who he dances with and his, like, mm. girlfriend from from high school or whatever. And so, like, his... When his, like, attraction to, to Baby is broken up by his, like, feeling like he's failed Penny by not being there for her or whatever is um is really lovely. And that whole relation... I just love Penny so much. I and do I, too. And I love the scene where it's, like, it's very... um. It's very charged and it could almost be a different kind of movie where it's like Penny is leading baby, like she's holding on to baby's shoulders mm-hmm. and waist and guiding her and dancing. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh God, this would be hot. <laughs> You're like, this could really go away. <laughs> I, I That's so funny. The, I mean, I was going to say though, when you were first saying like it's unusual for a man where he's not related, to, like he's protective yeah. of a woman. He's not, and I thought you meant actually baby's father toward Penny, which also ends up being yes. like this really touching relationship but it's but it's also again it's such an interesting way that i think the movie is really beautifully constructed that the strength of baby and her father's relationship is such that she feels comfortable i mean she's taking a risk but she feels comfortable asking for his help he helps her in part Mm -hmm. you know because he is a doctor and feels this like professional obligation and it kind of in some ways wrecks their relationship, but, but you feel like both of them would do it again if they had to, you know, they're both, yeah. they both had this kind of like strong moral streak and care about other people. Yeah. It, and I think that's what I meant when I said that I saw the true sort of love story yeah. as being about baby and her father, because as you, you're completely correct when you say that 
um, they had this loving, if narrow, relationship that completely... And this is so common with, like, children and their parents. And it's... I think I'm just so excited and touched to see it between fathers and daughters because I think it's an underwritten dynamic on screen. I think you often get women who have missing fathers and who then, you know have like quote unquote daddy issues or whatever. You see a lot of father fathers and sons on screen. You see a lot mm. of mothers and daughters. But the very complicated thing of the father-daughter relationship within the nuclear family is I think very underexplored. And I also think that like yeah, so so they they think this very um yeah, loving, affectionate, but definitely narrow thing where he has to keep being the strongest man in the world and she has mm. to keep being spunky and gorgeous and um, clever and whatever. And it's like, she can't show. And like the minute, uh, the, yeah. they uh, And if somebody told him your daughter is independent and she sort of sticks up for people and all kinds of stuff, he would, he would love it in theory, but when he sees it in practice and he sees autonomy and independence in practice, it's frightening to him. And there's this beautiful monologue where and I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but I do have it all written down in front of me <laughs> where she says, um, I told you I was telling the truth and I'm sorry I lied to you, but you lied too. you told me that everyone was alike and deserved a fair break, but you meant everyone who was like you. Mm. You told me you wanted to change the world and make it better, but you meant by becoming a lawyer or an economist and marrying someone from Harvard. I'm not proud of myself, but I'm in this family too. And you can't keep giving me the silent treatment. There are a lot of things about me that aren't what you thought, but if you love me, you have to love all the things about you. And I'm and I love you, and I'm sorry I let you down. I'm so sorry, Daddy, but you let me down too. Oh. It's too much. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm not gonna read all of it. I read all of it. <laughs> Thank heavens you read all of it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, I it wrecks me. It re- it wrecks me. And I think I, it's like you're, what you said is right. They're always going to feel differently and weird about each other for the rest of their lives. And they'll have more and more examples of this situation is going to happen until one of them is dead and they will know yeah. each other always. And they will have to keep bashing up against this thing that like they neither one of them is the person they thought they were. And that's just yeah. a very real parent dynamic, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. And yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, again, it's it's. There's so much that's like even even like we haven't talked really about the mother or the sister, but yes, Kelly like, Bishop. Yeah, and, and, and also the the sister, um, Lisa, who like there's that sort of sweet moment where you know, like Lisa's so unpleasant, and then there's that like like baby, I'll do your hair for you, you know, like yeah, like, yeah, this kind of like which is so much. It's so much more poignant that she has this moment of like kindness and tenderness instead of like kicking baby when she's down. Like I I do, I feel like they let the characters, there's just so many like, you know, really small moments that are really lovely and including like when, when the mom you know when when baby's dancing and she is like so delusionally at the end is like I think she gets that from me. Oh, <laughs> That's another class. Yeah, I find it so yeah, it's so and the mom who's like, what I love about Kelly Bishop as an actress is that like they gave almost nothing for that character to do, but yeah. just she just acts with her eyes in every scene. Yeah, and you can just you yeah. know what that character thinks about everything everyone is saying. Yeah, by her yeah. face, and that's just being a great actress. 
Yeah, yeah. God, I love her. And I love the sister as well because it's like, she, it's such brilliant casting of like someone who just looks like they belong in the 60s. Like, ha! Like she looks kind of like Jackie Onassis and kind of like Elizabeth Taylor, but not kind of as beautiful as either of them. You know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just lovely. And it also made me think, I was like, oh, wow, it's, it's, it's interesting this like movie that was made in the mid 80s about the early 60s. Mm-hmm. And what a movie would using that same time jump would look like now, and it would be, it would be a pre nine eleven movie. It would be like a year two thousand movie, right? Like or, God. well, let's see. So if it came out and like, it was, it came out twenty five years after it was set. So yeah, yeah, yeah. a movie set in the late nineties. That's, that's yeah. pretty weird. Ugh, it would be lovely. Um. I just yeah I I could I I I guess what I was most surprised by with this movie was how incredibly emotional I found it um and how beautiful I found it and how artistic I found it and like and how the romance which I loved and appreciated it and now I feel like old enough to be able to want to have sex with Patrick Swayze <laughs> um uh but how it still was a very not a small part of the film, but just a part of a piece, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Is is there is there anything else you want to talk about with it? Any scene that you love that we haven't discussed? Because I'm aware um, that we haven't gone linear through the movie. Oh, uh, that's okay. That's okay. People know what happens in Dirty <laughs> the Dancing. The movie exists. Someone <laughs> can go watch. Um, no, I mean, I think it... I, I just think it's really... I think it wears its intelligence really lightly so you sort of experience the movie itself and the story and the world it's set in instead of thinking of it as a movie or as a sort of artistic creation um and so even like you know there's that that scene where they're like lip syncing to each other that's just like very oh i love that scene yeah like it's and the music is so wonderful i mean i feel like so many of those songs became kind of like new classics like the new ones became new classics and the old ones got kind of like resuscitated so i just um yeah i think i think it does a lot of things very well but it's kind of almost like quietly self-assured about how it does them so in that way i mean it would i don't think like if people were like making a roundup of great movies i feel like it would be things like the godfather Mm. you know what i mean and i do feel like a movie that's like just like all the details are perfect all the scenes are perfect the characterization is perfect there's like a lot of incisive commentary that's implied about class and gender and reproductive freedom and religion but it just like it does it all so deftly and lightly that then it it kind of you know, is a movie where like, like a, a woman could say to a, another woman at a party, like I carried a watermelon and it could, it could be like, yes. made an awkward entry in, but it just, it almost, again, I feel like maybe it doesn't exactly get credit for being like a great movie. And I do mm-hmm. think it's a great movie. It just does everything it does. It does well. And it does a lot. I think that thing you said about like the Godfather being on the great movies list or whatever. I think about this a lot of like, if you were to go into any 14-year-old boy bedroom who, like, 
enjoyed film and you would see the posters you would see would be like Scarface and The Godfather and Fight Club and all that kind of stuff. And then if you were to go into a bookshop and pick up a book that was like 100 greatest movies ever, you would find those same movies in there. That's funny. And is that like because 14 year old boys have the best taste in the world? Or is it because... (laughs) 14-year-old boys grow up to be 34-year-old men who then get to compile those books, you know? Yes, yes, that is what it is. Well, and that's what, I mean, actually something beautiful to me about my own career. So it's like my first book was published 18 years ago. Mm. And so people will say to me, I know, so someone someone might say, like a, a woman who read my first book when she was 16 is now old enough that she could be like a powerful person at like a Hollywood studio. And she can say like, you know, I mean, just as this is not like my, I'm, I love being a novelist and I'm not like, like, (laughs) you know, but I, this is my only dream in life is to have, but she can say like, wait, why have none of your books been made into movies? Like I've always wanted to develop one of, I mean, this is, this is like a literal conversation I've had, or it can be like, a girl who read my book as a 13-year-old is now, like, a doctor or a social worker or something. Um, so, like, I I mean, that's the kind of inverse of what you're saying, that there's, I mean, and, you know, I also think, like, gender is a social construct, but insofar as culture is often gendered, I think it's a really, it's like a really beautiful, special part of my you know, job as a novelist that most of my readers are girls and women. And a lot of my readers are growing up with me. And, and like, you know, you can like, like in some way, like, I don't think, I mean, okay, so, so Dirty Dancing came out 35 years ago. The fact that you and I are having this conversation and you have this like big podcast that lots of people listen to, like, I don't think this would have existed. I mean, setting aside the technology Mm. 20 years ago or 15 years ago or something like there is this kind of there are more venues for like, quote unquote, you know, female culture. And 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 I mean, I know this is in some ways like the thesis of the whole podcast, Um but but yeah, so there's there can be like the the girl who had the dirty dancing poster <laughs> gets to be a woman too and gets to like yeah. contribute to the cultural conversation. So Curtis Sittenfeld, you have a new book coming out that uh, is so in demand that your publicist had run out of proofs by the time she had contacted me. So I have not read it, although I really want to. <laughs> but please tell us all about it. Um, so it's called Romantic Comedy. And um, it's about, um, it's sort of based on a show like Saturday Night Live, where the male, there's a, and this is true of the real Saturday Night Live, there's a pattern of male writers or cast members um, who are talented, but like also, you know, somewhat ordinary looking mortal men. Um, dating and even marrying incredibly famous, incredibly beautiful, incredibly talented women who come on the show who are like musical guests or actresses who are uh, guest hosts. And so the the main character writes a sketch about how it would never happen that like, you know, quote unquote, ordinary female writer would get romantically involved with a super famous gorgeous male celebrity and then that week the the host and musical guest are one and the same this pop singer named noah brewster and there's 
sexual chemistry between <gasps> there's there's oh i love this <laughs> um, baby baby johnny levels of no just kidding i mean baby baby <laughs> johnny are my template for everything but i could never dare hope that <laughs> that i'll attain <laughs> that, that kind of magic so anyway so so that's that's sort of the premise and it's it's actually um you know it's supposed to be like a kind of fun escapist romantic story Oh, I love this. This is so fun. Because like, there's an often thing of uh, this side of the Atlantic where we all talk about, like, we don't... Why don't why don't we have an SNL? Because I think everyone oh. is sort of envious and obsessed with the whole... God knows I've read so many, like, you know, memoirs by female writers on SNL that just... That experience seems so glamorous to me. So to read a piece of fiction set inside that world. Well, I'll tell you, it's funny because I think this is this has been a tiny bit divisive so far. Like 50% of the book, which is 300 pages, the book is, um, so it's like 150 pages, it is um, set during this one week of the show. So it goes deep, deep down into like the nitty gritty of how a show is executed. So I think, and I think some people are like, did I really need to know like how <laughs> the makeup department handles this? And and my reaction was like, yes, you did need to. Know. Yes, but, you need but, to know. I, I oh my god, this is so a book made for me. I think I've this read... might be a book made for you. Actually, based <laughs> based on everything we've just discussed, I think it might be. Oh, uh, because just like I will listen to any fucking middle of the road Mark Maron episode oh, where same. it's just him same. talking to some SNL cast member I've never seen before. Them talking about their first meeting with Lauren, yeah, and I'm just like, yes. <laughs> Okay, then. Does Lauren Michaels feature as a character? You'll have to read it and find out. Oh, and you are the queen of making real people fake and fake people real, so I am. <laughs> I am uh, very excited for this, Curtis. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank This was so fun. I feel like I, I, feel like I have to um, go watch Dirty Dancing for the, like, 38th time <laughs> right now, in this <laughs> moment. Like, this is, yeah, this was a joy. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.